0: If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 1. If not, the, uh, the words will be up here on the screen. We're we'll continuing through the book of Acts. We got through Acts chapter 9, which is a pretty pivotal chapter. Here we are going to stick with, uh, with Peter. We, we, we saw we Saul at the beginning of Acts 9, and then we transitioned to Peter at the end of Acts chapter 9. As we pick up chapter 10, we're going to stay with the Apostle Peter and see what he does here as he travels around this, the, uh, near the sea. So we'll jump right in. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 3 says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who called to him and said, Cornelius. We learned a few things about Cornelius right away. One, he's from Caesarea, which you'll see of a map in just a second. You'll see where that was and is. He's a man named Cornelius, who's a centurion. A centurion was somebody who was in charge of probably roughly uh, 100 soldiers, 100 men. So he had some responsibility in the, in the Roman army. And he was uh, known as, for part of the Italian regiment, which people probably made up mostly from, from Italy. He and his family... We're devout and God fearing, the Bible's way of expressing somebody who's non Jewish, he's a Gentile person, but somebody who's pursuing the same, the God of of the Jews. Okay, so he's not a Jewish person, he's a Gentile, and this is important as we see what Peter's going to do here. Um, We've already saw a uh, a Gentile person come to know know Jesus when we had Philip and the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, right? Somebody who wasn't fully Jewish. Was baptized by Philip, now you're going to see this, these Gentile people start coming in the church in much greater numbers. And this is a big transitional chapter in the book of Acts as we see that happening. People who are non-Jewish. Remember, to, up until this point, most people who are following this Jesus, who, as we would describe as Christians, though, though they haven't been called that yet, are Jewish. They have Jewish roots. Here we're going to see that that's going to start to change, and the rest of the book of Acts will, will indeed do that as, as Gentile people continue to to come and and know know Jesus. It's a very important moment because without things like this, without Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, without Peter and Cornelius, you and I wouldn't be here. Because I'm guessing most of you weren't Jewish before you became Christians. Um, So this is a very important chapter and a very important part of the movement uh, for those of us who who aren't Jewish. We see that he is a devout man who's God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need, and prayed to God regularly. Some of the characteristics that we see in Cornelius are so hopefully some of the characteristics we see also in ourselves. One day at three in the afternoon, probably during a time when he's praying, that was generally a time where devout people prayed, was three in the afternoon. He's probably praying to God, and he has this vision. And in this vision, he sees an angel, and this angel comes and speaks to him and says, Cornelius, now... We just saw the Apostle Saul and his calling. Uh, Remember, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God calls Cornelius in a similar way, just calls him by name. So we are here in Caesarea. This is where we are. This is where the story is going to take place. Jerusalem's down here. Remember Peter, we last saw Peter. He was in Joppa. Uh, These are about 30 miles apart. So Caesarea is here. Caesarea serves essentially as the Roman capital of Judea, of this whole region. Um, It's called Caesarea because it was renamed for in honor of of Caesar uh, by Herod. So that's where we are. We're up here. Here's the Sea of Galilee to give you an an idea. The story continues, verses 4, 5, and 6. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. The angel gives Cornelius pretty, pretty plain directions. This is what I need you to do. You just send some people to, to Joppa, which we just saw on that map a second ago. Down here, about 30 miles away. You just send some people there, because there's a man there that I, I need you to talk to. and His name is going to be Simon, who's also called Peter doesn't help that he's staying in a man named Simon's house, right? It's like, why we can't think of more names here? What do we got going on here, you know? Everybody's named Simon, apparently. But notice what the angel said to him at the, the backside there, the second half of verse 4. Your prayers and gifts to the, to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. He's a Gentile person. Doesn't do the, the, the normal things Jewish people do. Doesn't do the offerings, go to the temple, and, and yet God is honoring the things he's done. It is important for us to remember that there are all kinds of people who are chasing after God who we maybe would never know that um, just by outside maybe they don't they're not here with us at church maybe they're doing all kinds but their heart is is close to God and that's going to be the point I think of this section one of the points is that the outside matters much less than the inside the inside is what we're concerned about we're not so much concerned about the outside Cornelius wasn't worried about what other people thought when he did these things. He did these things because they were the right thing to do. As parents, that's something we teach our children, is it not? You do the right thing. Doing the right thing means you do the right thing even when nobody's around. When no one's there to see it, you're going to do the right thing. You're going to make the right choice. It doesn't matter if you're honored for it or you're not. You're going to do the right thing because it's simply the right thing to do. And Cornelius has been doing that. So he's going to send a man, some men, to to Peter, to bring him back. <clears throat> there's a problem, though. Remember, Peter is an Orthodox Jewish person. And Orthodox Jewish people don't come in contact, don't go, don't, go, don't go inside the homes of people who are not Orthodox Jewish people, who are Gentiles. Remember, Gentile people are considered, by Jewish law, unclean. So there's going to be something that has to happen before Peter's going to be... Now, Peter's already on his way of becoming more comfortable with this. We've seen that. That Peter's realizing that God's movement isn't going to be, be contained in one little area. But Peter's going to be stretched here in ways in that you and I will never fully understand because we're not Jewish, so we, we don't understand how much uh, of a challenge this next section is going to be for Peter when Peter has this vision. Verse 7 and 8, When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. doesn't wait. Cornelius gets two, two guys and a soldier, and he says, go, go Joppa, this is what you need to do, you need to find this Simon who's named Peter, he will be at a house of a guy who's Simon, who works as a tanner. We continue the story in verses 9 through 13. Now we're going to see what's going on with Peter. About noon the following day, so remember it's 30 miles apart, so it's going to take them a day or so, for them to travel that distance by foot. I know you and I probably aren't going to travel 30 miles by foot. Remember, they, this is what they do. So they cover ground much quicker than you and I do. So as they're coming, as they're making the journey, this is what happens with Peter the following day at noon. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, "Get up, Peter. Kill and eat." For you and I, that doesn't seem all that important. You're like, "Okay, there's a sheet, some animals on it. Eat. Like, what's what's happening here?" We've got to remember that Peter, again, as an Orthodox Jewish person, follows a very strict dietary law. Those Jewish Orthodox Jewish people to this day still follow this law. You can find that law in the book of Leviticus. I'm gonna reference it in just a minute. The important thing to remember is there's some animals on this sheet that Jewish law would say, you don't eat. They're unclean. You can't, can't eat them. And the voice is telling Peter to do what in verse 13? Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter's response is this. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Three times. Right? When the Bible, something happens three times, that's the Bible's way of saying pay attention. Right? You need to pay attention. So Peter has this argument with God, saying, God, God I've never... I've never eaten these animals. I would never eat these animals. You, you're, you're the one who said these were unclean. You're the, ones, you're the one who told us to avoid these animals. I would never do that. And yet the voice says, no, Peter, it's okay. Kill and eat. Now, he's not going to actually kill his animals. This is a vision, right? He's seeing this. this isn't, the animals aren't actually there. But the point is something that's much more profound. Now, I want you to get you to the part where you understand why this is such a big deal to Peter. One, because it's kind of gross, right? Like, none of us eat reptiles probably on a regular basis. Maybe you've had tried a snake. Maybe you've eaten something like that. But most of us aren't. That's, they're, they're disgusting, right? I mean, they're just gross-looking little, slimy little things. So, not a big deal for us. For them, this is more than just it's a gross, slimy little thing. This is what God had said. So, if you want to read the whole chapter when you go home of Leviticus 11, um, don't read it right after lunch. If you've ever read the book of Leviticus, it's not exactly a riveting reading. It's not that it's not important, but it's not going to keep you on the edge of your, of your seat. I just want to give you a couple highlights of what it says. Leviticus 11 lays out this law to the Jewish people of what they're supposed to and not supposed to eat. Leviticus 11, 1-3 says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones you may eat. These are the ones you can eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. You guys know what those animals, some of those animals are? You barbecue frequently? You know, like hamburgers, right? That one's a yes. A pig is a is a no, right? Big no. So that's the that's the, right there. Right there, there's a the divider, right? Choose, and then Leviticus 11 lists a bunch of animals, and I didn't want to just read them all to you. You can read them if you'd like. To ones that were yes, ones were no, ones that maybe you could, or right. And then it ends th- th- towards the end of the section Leviticus 11, 41 through 42 says this: Every creature that moves along the ground is to be regarded as unclean, is not to be eaten. That would be what? Snake, reptiles, right? That move along the ground. Because look what he says. You're not to eat any creature that moves along the ground, whether it moves on its belly or walks on all fours or on many feet. It is unclean. Now, some of the animals that were in that sheet that came down from heaven, Luke told us, were reptiles. Reptiles would be included in this lax section, would they not? Yeah, Absolutely. So the vision that Peter's getting is, is not what he's lived through his entire life. But it's not about food. This section has nothing to do, it's not, it's not about the food. It's about clean and unclean. Remember, who is at the edge of the city making their way to Simon, Simon's home, the tanner, to bring Peter to Cornelius. Gentile people. People who Peter has thought his entire life are, are unclean. People he shouldn't be in contact with, shouldn't be eating a meal with, shouldn't be going to the same home with, shouldn't be rubbing up against each other at the marketplace, right? This isn't really about food. This is much more about the people who are coming to meet with Peter and God busting the kingdom open. And this isn't new. If Peter has a great memory, which I think he probably did, In Mark chapter 7, Jesus actually talked about this very idea. Mark 7, I'm just going to read it to you. Mark 7, beginning in verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. I can't help but think as Peter receives this vision, he thinks back to when he was sitting there as Jesus spoke those words. It's not about what you put in. It's in in the mouth that goes in the stomach. It's what's in the heart. It's right here. And what was a picture that Luke painted for us of Cornelius earlier on in the book of Acts, this chapter? Cornelius was a man who did what? prayed gave gifts to the poor he was a god fearer. he was devote devoted to god he had it here right he had it here already he already had it there in the heart so the lesson that god's trying to teach peter in this moment is don't worry about the clean unclean i'm making everything new making everything clean it's a lesson that God's going to teach Peter to make him more receptive to what's about to happen. And what's about to happen happens in verse 17 through 20. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. As Peter, the vision happens because it happens in God's timing, not our timing, right? The vision comes to an end, as Peter has this argument within himself now. That's what verse 17 tells us, right? Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. What, what, is, ha- what is God trying to teach me here? It's happened to all of us before, as we're in the midst of a lesson. As we open the Bible and we're reading or something's going on in life, we're thinking, what God, what are you trying to? Get across! What are you trying to get through my thick skull? Happens to all of us, and it's happening to Peter here. Normally for for us, it doesn't happen quite so quick, maybe. The answer doesn't come quite as fast as it does for Peter. As, As Peter's wondering about this, the three travelers sent by Cornelius arrive, and they call for him. And the Spirit of the Lord tells Peter that there are three men looking for him to get up, to go downstairs, and do not hesitate to go with them. I have sent them. If Peter doesn't receive this vision, he doesn't get this understanding, do you think he hesitates to go? Absolutely he does. Because these people are people he's not supposed to associate with, not supposed to be rubbing elbows with. But God is trying to teach Peter something different. It's like God constantly tries to teach us something different as well, doesn't he? That just when we get someone pegged, just when we think we have them figured out, just when we put them in this nice, neat clean category whatever the category may be for Peter it would have been Jew and Gentile clean and unclean just when we think we have the categories down someone surprises us don't they and they just can't be put or left in the category we thought we had them in because the problem that you and I face this problem that God doesn't face is we can't see people's hearts all we see is the outside all we see is often the facade in which all of us walk around wearing, trying to make sure that we, we please others or, or that others have an idea of us or whatever it might be, all we see is the outside. We can't see the inside. Now, when we spend time with somebody and we spend quality time with them, we get to learn them, we get to know more about them, we start to uncover that, right? We kind of start to able to see what's inside. But even then, we don't have the same vision that God has. God sees, cuts right through it. Like, there's no fooling God. We can fool each other. We can pretend. We can wear a mask, which is that's what the Greek word for a hypocrite means, right? It's someone who wears a mask and plays a part in a play. We can all pretend for a while. It doesn't matter to God. There's no pretending with God. God, God sees right through the charade. God sees right through our act. And God knows exactly who we are. It's the reason that God sends Peter to Cornelius is because God knows Cornelius' heart. He knows where he is. The question is, is when God sees our heart, what does he see? I know that's a difficult one to answer. But you are the only one who really knows besides God what's in there. What your intentions really are. Jesus emphasized that in the Sermon on the Mount. That it isn't just our actions that matter. That God actually cares about why we do what we do. What motivates us. Jesus told a story about people off, giving their offering in the temple. I don't know if you remember that story. Remember the money money in the ancient world was all coins. And so he, talks, he tells a story about this person who throws all these coins in the, in the treasury at the temple. Makes all this loud noise. And people think, man, look at the look what that person's giving. He talks about this little widow who, who offers just one little coin in there. Probably doesn't even make a sound. And the point of Jesus' story was what? That she was actually giving much more because she was giving out of what she needed. Or the rich person who had lots was giving barely anything because they had all kinds. What was the point of that story? It's about the heart, right? That so she was actually giving much more to God than the person who had all this money was because she was giving out of what she literally needed to survive. That person was giving out of their excess. Because to God, our motives actually matter. They matter. And the motives, it's that, that's, that's something you have to wrestle with, right? Is why do I do what I do? And if you start looking at yourself and the decisions you make, it becomes a little more humbling. Because maybe you think to yourself, most of the time I think I do what's right, I do what's good. And then you have to dig another layer deeper and go, well, why do I do it? That exposes a lot about ourselves, doesn't it? It reveals to us about man, why do I do this? And we have to remember that that's what God has always seen and will always see. He sees the motive. Not just what we do, but the why. Why do we do it? It's an important question. I think we have to ask ourselves: Is why do we do what we do? Why do we make the decisions that we make? We're going to end on this section today because we'll, we'll pick up the rest of the book of, or excuse me, the chapter ten next week. This is how this section ends. Peter went down and said to the men, "I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come?" The men replied, "We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people." The holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. See what's already happening. Peter says, what, what do you need me for? What's going on? And he hears about the, the vision that Cornelius has. And look how Cornelius is described by some of the people who know him best. People who attend him and people a very close confidant, another fellow soldier. Look how look how he's being described. How is he being described? He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. It says his his motives match his actions. God knew the heart. God says, this is the guy that's going to help help us open. Peter's eyes to what's going on and help us grow the kingdom. And the people around him look at him and go, hey man, that's a good dude. You know, you ever met somebody who, who, who no one ever has a bad word to say about him? When you meet someone like that, you need to cling to him. because there's someone who, who, whose reputation is great amongst all kinds of different people, and who live it out, who don't just talk it, but live it out, those people are the people you want to cling to people you want to learn from. Those people have wisdom. They have knowledge. Cornelius is one of those people who no one has a bad word to say about him. Why? Because he, he lives it out. He does it. It's, it's, it's here in his heart first, but it comes out his hands and his feet. If there's anything we, you and I could be described as, that would be a great way to, to be described at the end of our days. Well, he was a righteous man, or she was a righteous woman who, who had reverence for God. That's what God-fearing means, right? Who who had respect and reverence for God and was respected by all the people who knew him. It's it's pretty good words. Trust me, I've done lots of funerals for people who no one had anything nice to say about them. Those aren't much fun. Trust me, they're not much fun. When you have one like this, it's a life well lived. And look what happens with Peter. Remember, Peter has this idea of them as being unclean. He doesn't have any more because Peter is willing to listen to God and to change his mind. If there's anything that shows us maturity as human beings, it's to not get stuck in a rut. peters We'll never understand how difficult this decision is for Peter to make because we've never lived Peter's life. We didn't wear in his shoes. Remember, he's lived his entire life believing that these certain foods I need to avoid, these certain people need, need to be avoided. I can't come in contact with them, can't be polluted by them and by the world and God teaches him something new, and Peter's able to say, God, okay, okay. Whether we want to admit it or not, change isn't easy for any of us. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I could change real easy, yeah, you're probably lying to yourself, right? Most of us don't love change, we just don't. And Peter has to change his entire way of thinking in this moment, as God's trying to teach him something new. But if Peter doesn't, souls are lost. You're going to see many souls would be lost because as we finish this chapter next week, you're going to see what happens when Peter gets to Cornelius' house and what God is doing. Verse 23 is very powerful, very simple, but very powerful. We're going to end on it. Peter invited the men into the house, not just invite the men, sit down and have some coffee, some tea, right? He invites them into the house to be his guests. Which is Peter's way of saying, "God, I hear you. I'm all in." If there's any way we could summarize this this, this portion of the book of Acts, and it's going to the same thread, the same themes, going to carry on to the end, is a bunch of people who are faithful who say, "God, God, I'm all in. I'm pushing all my chips to the middle of the table. And I'm in with you." It's really the only way to follow God is to do it all in you can't do that little when you go to the pool right and you put your foot in there to see the temperature and you're like ah nope too cold i'm gonna go to the hot tub right we've all been there at the hotel that's not that's not how this works that's not how christianity is christianity isn't a let me test the waters with my big toe and go nope i'm good right it's all in so when we baptize you it's you're all the way under the water because it's all in you're, you're doing this little trick you're in as we follow Jesus, we follow Him with everything we have. Everything we've got. With the, the gifts God's given us, we follow Him with the weaknesses that we have, our strengths and our we, we give everything to God. And what we see so far in the book of Acts are people who are willing to do that, who go all in. And some of them were screw-ups. One of them is a murderer, remember the apostle be Paul, he saw right now. He's killing Christians, right? All kinds of varied backgrounds. Some of them have been faithful since the very beginning. Some of them haven't been faithful at all. What you're going to see throughout the book of Acts is a bunch of people who are from all over the place, all over the known world, who believe all kinds of different weird things, who all unify under this Jesus. Because they say, God, I'm all in. The question you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, is are we all in? Or are we just dipping our toe in the water to check the temperature? This is an all-in. You've got to say, God, I'm here. Use me. Do what you can with me. And when you do that, your life will never be the same. And when you do that, your life will be a life well lived. And at the end of your day, someone will come and say, he or she was a righteous person who feared God and was respected by everyone around them. Because that's the only way to live a life with Jesus, is a life that impacts others. It has to. Be. No other way. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the example we have of Peter being willing to listen to you before tradition, before what he's always done, before the routine and the habit and the path. He puts you first and foremost and goes, God, I'm all in. This is going to be different. It's going to be hard. It's going to challenge me. It's going to stretch me. It's going to make me really uncomfortable. But I'm in with you. God, we know that you are not a God who worries first and foremost about our comfort. You worry first and foremost about hearts and our souls, and the hearts and souls of our neighbors, our family, and people we meet around us. So God, we ask that you would give us courage as we go out into this world another week to be light and salt to this world, to show them what it means to follow you with everything we have, to give you as the best and the greatest gift anyone could ever receive. Lord, we pray for those in our community who don't yet know you, who haven't put their faith in you, that you would help us to show them what it means to live a life well-lived in you, and that they might see that life well-lived and think to themselves, I want what that person has. And give us the words to speak in that moment and saying, well, it's not me, it's God in me. He's the reason for the change. He's the reason for the life that's well-lived. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. You have blessed us so. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who offered himself as a perfect and holy sacrifice on our behalf to cover our sins so that we could come back to you. Father, we thank you, and we love you, and it's in your son, Jesus, powerful and healing name we pray, and all God's people said. Amen.